For many, leadership may imply the imposition to say yes. Yes to new tasks, yes to new projects, yes to more jobs and gigs. Even Jim Carrey said yes in the 2007 movie, Yes Man, where the idea of saying no was viewed as foreboding and negative. Last year, we learned with the dichotomy of leadership that a hard line on one topic can cause you to burn the candle at two ends, eventually burning us out. While preparing for the original series last October, a Tim Ferriss podcast highlighted the no responses to his invite to participate in the book, Tribe of Mentors, in which Tim asks over 130 entertainers, athletes, CEOs, speakers, guests, what makes them tick. His no responses were so positively strong that he put them in the book anyway. It was a way to highlight how some power brokers eloquently decline invitations to projects. And most recently, on an episode of the Business Advantage taken at NATA with Alicia Pennington, Dr. Kent Games shared his focus on mindset and self-care, which included the notion of saying no through meaning and priority. Today, Dr. Games joins us right here on the Sports Medicine Broadcast to explore the idea of saying no as a leadership trait. Dr. Games, welcome to the show. And as always, welcome, Jeremy. All right. Well, thanks, John. Again, it's always good to be here learning. Uh, there's been there's been a lot of developments and, you know, we talk about it some, some of the issues that I got going on here at work and how how much I would just like to say, okay, I'm done, walk away. But then how much can I change? How much did I fail to educate? And so again, there, there's been more meetings in the last few months because I did stuff wrong, but it's with leadership and it's making things right that like, I can't imagine having been able to make it through these without this last series. And so it's been huge for me personally. And then as far as athletic training, knowing that it's going to make a long-term difference and knowing that it may not be as big a deal as I'm thinking because I just haven't communicated well enough. So uh, you mentioned the episode with Dr. Games and Alicia that can be found in the next week or so uh, at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash challenging status quo because they talked about a lot about mindset and challenging the status quo. So that one will be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash challenging status quo. And this one, as we're talking about learning to say no, will be exactly that, learning to say no, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash learning to say no. Of course, we want to hear or see your comments, uh, add them to the conversation. I know Patrick O'Haver was on there a lot last time. Brendan Moriarty has been on there uh, a good bit too. And so we want to want to see you, hear you, hear from you, add your comments into the live section. Let us know your struggles. Again, this one is going to be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash learning to say no. Go ahead, John. Kent, how you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Why don't you go ahead and share with us uh, a little bit who you are and, um, you know, we can talk a little bit about the recent uh, podcast that you were on and uh, a little bit about our uh, our pre-show notes that we had. All right. Fantastic. Well, I'm an athletic trainer, an educator, and an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm the director of clinical education for the Indiana State Doctor of Athletic Training Program. I also am the owner-operator of Kent Games Coaching, which is a leadership coaching and consulting company that I love to work with healthcare professionals to really help them move through 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 their mindset challenges so they can uh, so they can be inspired to take action on their own life. Uh, so yeah, I'm really excited to be here and this is a topic that I'm very passionate about and I'm very grateful that I've been invited onto the show today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. Um, you know, I wanted to start out and talk a little bit why I felt the idea of saying no was a leadership trait. Um, you know, after last year, I, I realized that uh, I was overfilling my plate a little bit, wanting to prove a little bit who I was and what I was doing and as a leadership uh, example within my setting and, and the high school I'm at. Um, but then I, I had to realize that I was filling the plate a little bit too much. There's times where I felt that, hey, I'm, even though I'm filling my plate, I can definitely get a bigger plate. But the bigger the plate got, obviously, the more stuff that got put onto it and everything. Um, you know, but as we read through last year, 
uh, extreme ownership, prioritizing execution, which is something that you and I talked about. Obviously, Jeremy, you and I talked about as well on, on the podcast. Um, that was one of those things that made me refocus and rethink the way I did certain things. Um, it helped me say no a little bit. Um, there's a chapter in a book by Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. Uh, chapter three, it states, treat yourself like somebody you are responsible for helping. And I'm going to finish this podcast today with uh, an excerpt from that book, I think, to help kind of wrap everything up and put a nice little bow on it today. Um, but then I, I was, like I said, as we were kind of polishing this up for last year, I wanted to include this idea of saying, no, I didn't really know how to get around to it. Um, and, and I think it's just kind of serendipity with um, hearing your podcast. And, and and I knew that I needed to have this in here because it was something that I was able to enact last year um, and, and to say no a little bit more. But um, Tim Ferriss, his book, Tribe of Mentors, if anybody's ever seen it, it's a massive book, huge, huge book. It's so thick. You know, I, I was surprised when I picked up or when I got this book delivered, um, I was expecting someone different, but it's 130 some stories uh, from different people. That's like I said, entertainers, CEOs, act, um, you know, uh, sports athletes um, kind of shows how they tick. But there was three parts in there, really three pages in the book that said uh, people who declined his invitation to be a part of the book. Um, and they were so positively strong uh, in, the, in the way to say no that he included them in the book. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. These people still said no to being in the book and they were still in it for saying no. Uh, but it just highlighted how people say no, um, because I think a lot of times when we say no, we still feel pressured to say yes. Um, and, and, you know, we had talked about um you know, saying yes to different gigs and, and side jobs. But when people come to you, especially secondary schools, hey, we're going to have a volleyball tournament tomorrow at 7 a.m. You need to be here. And we've had that inclination to say, oh, well, okay. And we'll kind of bitch behind our backs or, or type it on Facebook and, you know, and still show up. And, uh, you know, it's not helping us as a profession. It's not helping us as people. Uh, so I think learning to say no as a leadership trait is a very important thing. It's definitely an issue um, in our setting. There we go. And again, like I said, like I said, this is hugely important. All these conversations for me to grow uh, and to learn. And it's just not something that I naturally would have gravitated towards, but obviously I, I'm learning, I'm continuing to learn and grow, and these, these conversations are real to me. Um, even just this week uh, at, at church, people asked me to do two different things, and I said, all right, well, I'm already involved in this. I can do one of these three. Which one do you want me to do? Because, I, you know, it's important to me. I want to help and, and serve there, but I also know the time limitations that I have and the family requirements that I have and the job requirements, and I said, look, I'm not adding anything to my plate. And, you know, it's just, it's just one of those things, like you said, you're not putting anything else on because this is what I got. I already kind of feel like I'm a little overrun, a little overwhelmed. So I'm not adding anything else. And then, um, I was talking with the owner of a local Chick-fil-A, his name's Luke Wilbanks and he, he likes Bob Goff and Bob Goff does a lot of stuff. Like if you ever read his book, it's amazing. This stuff that he's involved in and then we kind of like like oh that's so awesome you do all these things i need to do more things but then he also says every thursday he'll just he'll quit something so some obligation that he's he's has or something like that he'll just he'll quit it because he needs that time to create and and as we read through some of these emails i mean our responses to these letters it's going to talk about you know i needed that time for mental health for creativity for relaxation for self-care whatever it is i needed that time so that I could actually function fully rather than just always running on, on half charge. So, and like just like last year, I, I quit, uh, running the website for GHAS because it was, it was overwhelming and I needed some more time. You know, I'd served, I'd kind of help move that thing forward. And then it was time for me to just hand it off to somebody else because it had become more of a burden than a joy. It was something that I was doing because I had to. And every time I get an email about, Hey, can you update the website? This and this. And I was like, all right, fine, fine. Rather than like, okay, I really want to do this. And so 
it was one of those things. All right, guys, six months, find somebody to replace me. Uh, I'm going to be walking away from this. And so I didn't just leave them high and dry. I didn't just quit it on a Thursday. But uh, again, it was learning to say no so I could prioritize and focus my energy where, where I really wanted to. So. Kent, do you have anything you want to add? I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, saying no is one of the hardest things as athletic trainers, as, 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 as people in the, uh, the helping professions uh, to do. And there, there, I, you know, I think there's not only, you know, uh, we as humans and kind of wanting to be of service to other people and to be in this place where uh, we find value in serving others. But I think there's also this whole other layer that happens in athletic training with this, uh, I, I'll call it like our, our professional culture, where, where our origins were we, were, we were searching for value and we were searching for meaning. And so very often we had to be yes people. We had to be yes men and yes women to, um, to, to say we were going to find our value here. And so we ended up saying yes to all of these tasks that were not necessarily true to who we were or what our vision was. And then I think that that's just transcended our culture in athletic training through the generations, through mentorship and preceptorship. And it's almost uh, not only is it kind of this personal trait that we have where we want to say yes as a serving professional, but also this cultural expectation that uh, quantity equals quality. Uh, so the more things we say yes to, the better athletic trainer we are. Uh, or that if you say no, you are so, uh, the opposite. You're somehow less of an athletic trainer or you're less of a team player. And uh, that has a real consequence for our, our physical and mental health. And it makes it even harder for us to say no when we absolutely understand that our plate is too full and uh, we don't have much more to more to give. Uh, and, and then that leads to, you know, the quote you talked about earlier from the dichotomy of leadership, where you're burning the candle on both ends. And that's eventually going to lead to burnout. Let's let's go right from there. Let's talk about uh, let's jump into the book a little bit. And I want to read one of the, the responses that Tim uh, had received from uh, Neil Stevenson. Uh, and, and the response reads, hey there, Tim. Sorry for the slow response and thanks for getting to me in this context. It's become pretty obvious of late that I'm trying to do too much. So I started an experiment of not adding anything whatsoever to my to-do list so that I wouldn't get any longer. The result of that, the result is that the items are already on my to-do list, only spawn more items as I, as I cross them off. And so it's like fighting a Hydra. I'm hoping that I am ruthlessly efficient. I can get if that if I am ruthlessly efficient, I can one day get to the point where my list actually gets shorter instead of longer. In the meantime, unfortunately, the ruthlessly efficient part of this plan means that I am turning down things like this just as a blanket policy. Again, thanks for thinking of me and good luck with the project. So I think that kind of talks about a little bit, you know, what we were saying and uh, you know, as as a guest, I wanted to ask you, how does no or how does saying no allow us to become a valued member of our group and team? I, th I think saying no really sets the boundaries and the expectations by which you interact with your team. Right? I, 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 again, <laughs> in, in athletic training, we are members of the healthcare team who provide services to the sport and physical activity industry, and I think that's something that's that's really critically important to. Um, to, to recognize. And with that, we as athletic trainers must set boundaries uh, and, and, and boundaries and expectations. It's, it's very similar to if you were to go into a physician's office, you know, you have a, your, your appointments from nine to nine fifteen. you have 15 minutes with your provider. And uh, in, in oftentimes we set, we, we set unrealistic expectations by providing no expectations of ourselves. So by, by not setting any boundaries, we, are, are unconsciously forfeiting our ability to say no, uh, or at least that expectation from the patients that we treat. And so boundary setting allows you to be part of the team by saying, here is my value. And I want you to get, I want to give you the best of me in the time I have. I don't want to give you mediocre me all the time. I want to give you the best of me as a provider during this period of time. And there are so many little things that we can do as athletic trainers to set those boundaries up that, that 
are steps to saying no, right? As you, as if a, if a student athlete walks into the athletic training clinic and says, you know, after practice, it's a, it's a really busy time. You know, everyone knows that feeling, right? It feels like there's mm-hmm. 20 people there. They all need you all at the same time. It's as simple as saying, Joey, I've got five minutes. What is your, what can I help you with in five minutes? Or if, if it's going to take longer than five minutes, you can come back in about an hour and I'll be able to give you 20 minutes. And so that's essentially saying no to the patient, but it's also respecting the patient in a way that we don't typically do because the patient can understand if this is a quick, hey, just take a look at this, bumps and bruises, or if there's something that that they really want some more time with. So I think that, and, and that adds value. That's a value added activity. And it, and it starts to build respect as, as the healthcare provider and I think one of the things that um, that that was that was mentioned there that I, that I want to talk about because just briefly from that letter in in uh, Tribe of Mentors was uh, the the respondents replied with sorry, and mm-hmm. in it you know we're all busy, and I would actually encourage us to reframe that instead of saying sorry for the slow response, simply say thank you for your patience. Yeah. Right. So now you are not you're not starting from a place of submission. Right. You are acknowledging and you are thanking the person for their patience in your response. Um, and that's another that's another uh, example of boundary setting and 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 understanding and, and starting to set the expectations for those people around you that you are one person, two, per, two people. You know, you're a small group that's response that has a huge responsibility. And unfortunately, we can't divvy ourselves up into, you know, if you're one athletic trainer with 500 patients, we can't divvy ourselves up into 500 pieces. And mm-hmm. even if we do, that leaves us nothing for ourselves. That leaves us nothing for our families. That leaves us nothing for the other things that we care and we love to do that also build us up to allow us to continue to serve in a meaningful way. So real right. quick on, on that, um, whenever I think half the time that I've emailed you, Dr. Games, it has been... Uh, a, an auto response that says, "Hey, I'm thankful for your email, uh, but I can't get to it right now." Is that is that part of that boundary that you've set, like an auto responder at you know five o'clock or whatever on your email that yeah. that it does that? Like, like practically, what does that look like for you, and why am I getting those responses? Right, absolutely. <laughs> so I have a permanent out of office, right? And so it's it's a permanent out of office. I'm not ever I'm. I'm not out of the office unless I tell you I'm actually out of the office, but that's a boundary setting procedure for me because I found myself obsessing over email. So just sitting with my email on in the background and doing my other work and waiting for an email to come in and answering it. And then that led to anxiety at home. That led to anxiety when I was at meetings uh, that led to anxiety every single time my phone would would ding and I felt like I needed to response because someone needed me. It was definitely ego driven. And, but the thing is, so I, I read this, I actually picked this up from, uh, I follow Lewis Howes and the school of greatness podcast. And every time you email his team, if you're going to do one of their programs or whatnot, they have an auto response that says, thank you so much. Uh, and we get a large volume of emails. We will respond to you the quickest we can. And I said, well, how can I modify this for me? I, and I simply, you know, have it all, all the time out of office email up 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I start by acknowledging that I am so grateful for them that they took the time to email me. And then I, I, I reassure the sender that their email is valuable to me and that I will respond within 48 hours. And what that allows me to do is say no to immediately responding, but say yes to prioritizing and maximizing my time when it's time to do email which I typically do it, you know, an hour after I get into work around lunch, like right after lunch. And then one time, but that's how I kind of end the day, because at that point, my, my brain's kind of fried and I'm ready just to, to move on. And besides those three times, I, I don't respond to email in, unless there is, unless I know there is a pressing issue. And I, if there is an actual emergency, the people who would need to contact me have a direct way to contact me through my through my cell phone. So um, and and so that's that's the other way that there's there's the out of of saying if this is a true emergency, you know how to contact me. 
If it's not a true emergency, I want to give you the respect that you deserve by giving you my full attention. Because how many times have we been answering these emails and a flood of email opens or we, or we open it and we get like 50 emails and we're like, I can't do this. And so those low priority emails or those emails that you feel are not as important, they somehow get lost. And now you're di you've disrespected the person who took the time to, 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 to took the time to write you. And by, by setting boundaries and saying, okay, for this hour, for this 30 minutes, whatever the volume is for you, I will focus solely on this and give that everything I have. It's like, who needs my A game the most right now? And between 7 and 7.30, email needs my A game the most right now. So I sit down, I put away my phone, I do everything else, and I just answer email. I'm not doing anything else. I'm not talking to anyone. I am answering the email because those individuals who email me deserve my A game when I respond to them. So that, that, that's a, that's a, and the, that's a, that is an example of how I set boundaries and say no, because I want to respect the people who took the time out of their day to send me an email. They deserve the same respect in my response. Yeah. I think what, you know, what you're talking about when you're, when you're setting that boundary, when you're, when you're doing that, um, or when you have uh, a student athlete come to see you and, and, and you don't have, um, the time or the ability to do it. One of the things that I've done over the past couple of years is become more um, communicative with with my intent. And like you said, if if you, if I can't give you my best right now, then I need to reprioritize it, and I will give you my best in 15, 20 minutes when it's not so chaotic. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been received so very well, and it's helped me kind of it's given me time to think, okay, this kid has A, B, and C that I know of because I've not only just told them I'll see you in an hour, but in the two minutes that we're talking, I need the most clear and concise information you can give me so I can think about it. And then when I do a full, full eval or when I get the time to actually sit down, look face to face with that person, um, I'm, I'm a much better practitioner. I'm a much better person. Uh, and they, uh, they appreciate it. You know, it, it, it does sting a little bit when you say, hey, no, not right now. I can't do this. Um, or, and, and even initially, I got that like weird visceral response when I sent you an email and I get this bounce back and I'm like, but I want you on the podcast. It, it, it's so ego driven. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I realized it's not that important to send a thousand emails. It's not that important um, to, to be tied into your email account. Um I know a couple of weeks ago, I actually took the email off of my phone uh, and it was tough at first, but then like after the first five minutes, it, it went away and I went a whole weekend without checking my email. I get into work and it was like nothing, like you said, if it's an emergency, those people know how to get a hold of me. Mm -hmm. it, it's not an emergency because um, it, it's an email. It's something I can get back to. Um, I have a funny story of a, a friend of mine. He's uh, he's a soccer coach. He runs a, a club here up in Michigan. And we sit down one day and he pulls out his iPad and he's got 500 plus emails on his, on his thing. And he just hits select all, delete all. And I was like blown away. And I was like, what, what are you doing? Those people just sent you an email. Like what, what if it's something important? He goes, well, if it's something important, they're going to email me again. And when I have the time, I'm going to go back and, and I'll read that, you know, it's, but when you get 500 emails come across, he's like, I, I'm not, I don't have the time to deal with that. I'm, I'm going to do what's first on my plate. If they need me, they're going to email me back. Most of the time it's, it's something so non-important mm -hmm. that you don't really need to deal with it. Right. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's the other thing is that the, the caveat in my, in my out of office response is if this requires a response, I will respond. Mm -hmm. Because so often an email, we're using it almost like text message now. Right. It's not like an electronic snail mail, right? Like how often do you write back to the to someone who sends you a bill? <laughs> we don't do that. Like how much, yeah. like someone sends you a birthday card, do you send them a birthday card back and say, thank you? Or, you know, like, so the, the purpose of electronic mail was to speed up traditional mail. Mm -hmm. So, and, and then with the advancement of technology, we have somehow bastardized that and made that a an another form of 
text message or instant right. communication. And some, many times they're just informational emails. Okay, I, I, so there's no need for me to respond and say, thanks. How many times do we do that, right? We say, thanks so much. I appreciate it, period. Yeah, and, and they've, they've made it even easier now with Gmail. Like as soon yeah. as you, you send it, it gives you those three quick responses. Right. And like, why do you even need that, right? right. You, don't, you don't need to do, you don't need to send, I got it back to somebody you, you do have it you know i'll when i see you in person we'll communicate that i don't need to send right. that email right away because it's not it doesn't need that right like we, we trust technology to drive our cars to do all sorts of things mm -hmm. of course they can send a message and we can be almost certain that the other end received it right. like we don't have to respond back yes i received that because all that's doing is cluttering up someone else's email email box and, and creating a, this kind of endless loop of, okay, who's going to be the last person to respond? I think one of the things that, you know, in your, we're going to continue on with your email and your response, but you, you talked about gratitude mm -hmm. and you, you, you show some gratitude. And, and one of the responses that Tim Ferriss got, it was a nice, clear, concise one. Um, it was sent through another person, uh, but it reads, Greetings and thanks for writing. I am grateful for the invitation mm -hmm. to participate in Tim's next book project, but I'm struggling at the moment to make ends, make time ends meet for what we're all doing um, at, at his company, including my ongoing procrastination with my own writing projects. I thought carefully about this and it's clearly a wonderful opportunity, but I'm going to decline with gratitude. No, the book will be a great Great success. Thanks again. I, I like that. It's so clear. It's so concise. It's very short. But he included, I'm grateful. Thanks for writing. Uh, with gratitude. Thanks again. So in one paragraph, one short paragraph, he included four moments of gratitude right there. Mm -hmm. I think when you're able to do that, it's a little bit better way of saying no. Like you said, I appreciate you waiting or I appreciate your time rather than saying sorry and, um, you know, starting conversations off differently. Once you start showing gratitude for that, people are less defensive to say no, because like we like we say, if somebody says ask you to do something, and you say no. They're like, why? Why would you say no to me? Mm -hmm. But if you're able to kind of reformulate that a little bit and say with gratitude, Mm -hmm. I thank you. I appreciate you. And then go on with your no response. It's a little bit better way of kind of turning it around and, and being more of a leader and, and showing that gratitude that uh, you don't have the priority or you don't have the time to, to, to give to that person. Right. And I think, I think that the gratitude, gr gratitude is, is one of the things that I am, if I could pick one thing, it would be gratitude because it, it's able to change the course of conversations. It's able to change the the negative thoughts that we are having in our in our mind, and and gratitude opens up the possibility that this isn't personal. Because too often we say when we hear no, we think that well, this person doesn't like me, like totally ego driven, right? But when you acknowledge that I'm grateful for you, thank you so much for thinking of me. And I really appreciate that. And this just just isn't the right time for me. That that disarms the other party. Like it's really hard if you know I, I have a policy with the students in the DAT program, and that is at the beginning of every email they have to say, "Dear Dr. Games, I'm grateful for this," and then send me their question, their problem, any of those things. And and that really disarms the conversation because too often when we when we are frustrated or when we, we, we needs, we feel like we need something. We feel like something is an emergency. We feel like something's urgent. We, we start to lose our, our sense that, you know, the fact that I'm able to send an email or the fact that I have air coming out of my lungs right now is a reason not to lose my cool, uh, really disarms again, disarms the conversation and sets it towards a path of solution as opposed to a path of challenge, right? Like, no matter what's going on in your life right now, we all have something to be grateful for. Right. Like, e even if you have nothing, you have something to be grateful for because you have your breath and you have your life. And the time we've been doing this conversation, hundreds if not thousands of people around the world have lost that opportunity to
to do something that we do hundreds of times per day without even thinking about. Right. And that really reframes the whole conversation. So if you're having a bad day, you're not having a bad day. You're having a great day because you're able to, you're, and, and if, if the listeners are listening to this, you're having a really great day because you have access to the internet. You have, you have access to, 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 to power, to electricity. You have access, you have the means to pay for that somehow. Or if you're listening to it at work, you've got a job, right? Like, like, so all of those things are things that we take for granted. Uh, and, and if we just take a moment to realize all of the abundance we have in our life, even if it's something that, that you really wanted from someone and someone says no to that request, that's just no right now. And just like your example of the, of the soccer coach, if persistence, persistence is, is, is rewarded. If, if you continue to ask, if you really need something, you'll send another email. Right. Uh, and, and too often we get, we get derailed when we hear our first no and we say, well, I guess it's not for me. Like I'm never going to do this. Or, uh, it, you, we were talking earlier about elections. Like if, if you run for, uh, an office it, or, uh, getting involved somehow and you get, you didn't, you don't get voted in the first time. That's a no. And too often we take that so personally when in reality, it's just a no right now. There's an opera and today's, a, there's a new moment every single day that, it could turn into a yes. Yeah. You know, I, I, one of the books I talked about last uh, two weeks ago was leadership in turbulent times. And uh, you know, when people look at presidents across the board, I think a lot of people, if not most will put Abraham Lincoln up there at the top of their top two or three presidents, uh, you know, and you look at his political career, how many times was he not elected at certain things? And he became this great leader and um, you know, one of the, favorite presidents of all time. You know, mm -hmm. he had all those opportunities where no was said to him, but he was able to overcome it. You know, and that's kind of, if you reverse that the other way, the amount of times, if we keep continuing to say no to certain responsibilities or not, maybe not responsibilities, but to some opportunities that are not high priority, it makes us a more valuable person. And it, it allows us to grow as not only as a professional, but as a person, because we are continuously reprioritizing things by saying no. Right. It, it makes us prioritize what we say yes to, because if we say yes to everything, we don't know who we are. We forget who we are. And when you say no, it has, it has, there is an effect on us and it causes us to, to reframe that, to say, is this a priority to me? Right. You know, we, we, we talked about, you know, and I've talked about, I'm not too busy. This, I'm, this just isn't a priority for me, but the same, the same thing happens when you say no is, is this a priority to me? And if it's, if, if it is, then say yes. If it's a, if it's an opportunity that you want to take advantage of, say yes. It's not like, let's just have, like, I think in, in, in tribe of mentors, the individuals who he asked are already have a giant plate. They have achieved so much and they know what, how they add value. I think when, when people are starting off at this, they, they don't know how they want to add value. So they have to find their purpose and then their purpose becomes the filter for saying yes and saying no. If you're still exploring, there's nothing wrong with saying yes. Like, yeah, I want to explore that. But then the moment you realize that this is not for you or that you don't have the time or the energy to uh, contribute in a valuable way, then you need to have the discipline to say no. And you need to have the humility to say, you know what? This felt like a good opportunity, but it's just not fitting. And it's not it's not you. It's the, the organization's mission and your personal mission are not matched, right? Going through life, we connect with people because we connect with their missions. It's nothing to do with them. It's right. the energy that they have. It's the path that they're on. And we're all on our own paths. And, and it's, it's okay if someone comes up, if, if, if you say yes to something because it feels right at the beginning, and then you realize, you know, my mission and the organization's mission are not, we're not on the same wavelength. And I can't contribute in a good faith effort to do the best I can because that's what you deserve. So let me vacate my position so you can find the best possible person that meets that mission. And we think that saying no is selfish, 
But saying no is also selfless because we've all had that, you know, even if you go back to college, we've all had that group member who didn't want to do anything. And they always said, okay, I guess I'll do it. I guess I'll do it. Yeah. And they did subpar work. Right. Would, we would much rather have the person say, no, I don't want to do anything. Okay. And then the rest of the group will just adapt. Right. Like, like that's, that's, that's how organizations work is. And that's how leaders work is that they'll, uh, another principle from, from extreme ownership, adapt and overcome. Right. But it's, 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 if, so if, if you as an individual say yes to something and then you realize this doesn't work, you're doing a disservice and you're hurting the people you continue to say yes to when you, when you really in your heart and your soul say, this isn't right for me because you can't give them the effort that they deserve. And I think that's the, you know, and, and then as we, as you, the, the more and more you get clear on your why or your purpose, the more and more you can kind of have a, 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 a small filter, right? A filter that says, I'm only going to say yes to these sorts of opportunities. I'm only going to consider these sorts of opportunities, but these sorts of opportunities do not mean an automatic yes. For example, I got asked uh, to, to serve this week on, um, on a committee and it was, it was within my value system. It was within my purpose. And I, I was initially attracted to it, but I never say yes on the first ask. I always ask a question like, how much time is this going to take? Is it, you know, what's the duration of the activity? Is this like a, a commitment forever and we'll just keep renewing it? Is this a commitment for two months? Is this a one day commitment? And I think I actually responded back to you. Like, what, what do you think the estimated time will be yeah. in our first, in our first conversation? Because I, like, it was, it was something that we had to identify that I had to identify as, do I have the time to give you what you deserve? Right. And so that's, a, that's a, that's an instance where I was selfish asking questions and not saying yes at the same time in order to be selfless, to give you the quality and the listeners, the quality that they deserve in, in our conversations. Um, so I think that the, the filter at the beginning, if you're still trying to figure figure out what your why is and what your purpose is, can be pretty open. And as you move down and that filter gets smaller and smaller, uh, then saying no becomes more like a blanket statement with only specific paths to say yes. And those yes are not automatic, depending on the time uh, and your energy that you can give to certain to certain activities. What does it mean to you to have a why when you have a no response to people? I mean, it, it means that, that I'm living a value, right? So my why is to challenge the status quo in order to inspire other people to take action on their lives. And that's the filter by which I say yes or no to things. Does this align with my purpose? And initially, as an athletic trainer, I thought my purpose was to serve others. Like, I want to help people. That's that's what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. And as I got in, and that was part of the reason I, I think that I chose athletic training over physical therapy, is that I thought I was of service, but I could be of service as a physical therapist or as an athletic trainer or as an educator or as all of these other things. But my why, my purpose wasn't actually to serve people. It was to inspire others to take action on their life. And that really fits well in with physically active people who are driven. And so having a why is one of the things that, that, that we think is hard to figure out, but it's really a matter of choosing. You get to choose your why. Because life is neutral and we apply our interpretation. Mm-hmm. So my why is to inspire others to take action on their life. That is a mechanism of service. And that's how I am of service to other people. Um, and and I chose that. I chose that after, for me, it, it took me, uh, you know, it took me moving down this path that I'm just, I just want to help people. Like that was my why. That wasn't specific enough. And so what happened is my net was so large. I was saying yes to everything. And I got burnout. I lost my passion. I lost my motivation. I lost the discipline, more importantly, to, to move forward with all of these things. And, and it forced me to take a step back from everything and say, why am I doing this? 
And it was my why was never when I chose my why to to inspire others to take action on their life that resonated with me even though it didn't feel right in my head it didn't feel right with my with my thoughts because it was so counter to everything I had said yes to I just want to serve people I just want to help people and that is real that's not a filter at all everyone who's an athletic trainer probably wants to serve and help people in one way or another right. and so our why is so broad we, we, we you know because we don't we haven't given it the energy and the time and the respect that it deserves and so th- I think that's part of the, one of the reasons that that we that athletic trainers and that healthcare professionals tend to burn out and tend to say yes and overcommit to so many things because they stop at this level of I like to serve people my why is to help others when in reality it's much more nuanced than that because we all are of service and it's it's more about why I want to be of service to this group of people or to this um you know this you know, this subset of the population. And these are the types of people I want to have a positive and be a positive impact and, and be of service to. Right. I think, I, I think of the why and, and my new favorite word is intent mm. as the, as the middle circle in the target. Without that, we're just shooting arrows at a blank canvas. If we don't have the why, if we don't have the intent, we don't know what we're aiming at. We don't know why we're doing certain things. And it really, for me, it, it just refocused everything. It brought me right back into the middle. And I thought when somebody asks me to do something and I say, no, I have, I have a pretty good reason why no. Now every once in a while, it's just a no, because I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. But let's say a student walks in and says, and I'm sure this happens to a lot of secondary athletic trainers, a kid walks in and they say, I need K tape for this. And, and you go, why? That's your way of saying no at first. But mm-hmm. if a kid comes in and says, well, I saw it on the news or I saw a picture of it, so I know it's going to help me. Having a why explains why you're not going to do it or why you are going to do it. But it, it, it's that center circle in the, in the target that focuses your energy on something and allows you to have an appropriate response to them. Right. It, your, your why anchors you to be confident in your response of no. Yes. That, I think that 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 in, in the context of no, your why helps you go to sleep at night when you say no and helps you move past that initial anxiety mm-hmm. of 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 saying no and that's okay. And and it doesn't hurt to say no. That doesn't align with with how what what the vision is for my life. Right. How does how does saying no help us fundamentally change athletic training from the sports base idea to a healthcare model and battle burnout. Right. Uh, it's hard, right? It, it's, it's hard it's, it's saying no, again, sets the boundaries that we want to create as a healthcare professional. Th- that, that's what saying no does. And it sets the expectations for the patients that we work with, the administrators that we work with, the physicians that we work with, the parents that we work with, everyone along the chain. No is a is a way to set expectation. And it's, I think, as we as we want to as we shift, right? I think we are in this, we are at this crossroads where where we we collectively as a profession want to be recognized as a healthcare professional, yet we are unwilling to do the things that healthcare professionals do, right? Because we use the excuse of I don't have time. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, it's, I, I have too many other things to do and I only have this amount of time to do it. Time isn't going to change, right? So you have two options. You can increase the amount of time you have, which we are already putting in a lot of times, or you can start to pare down the activities that you're doing. And we, and, and I, I think that that looks different for everyone, and it requires a collective, it, it requires us to move from a space of saying that we are unique. Athletic trainers are not unique. So we need to move away from that. Mm-hmm. We are not unique. We have the same struggles that almost every single other healthcare profession has. But what we are, 
we are special. We are special in our gifts, talents, and abilities. So we need to move away in saying that we're unique and that's what's holding us back. And rather, we need to lean in to our specialness. We need to lean into our ability to communicate, to solve problems, to multitask, to be able to, to, to handle difficult situations with ease. We need to be able to leverage that as we set our boundaries, as opposed to saying, well, we're unlike everyone else and woe is me. Like, that's really hard. Like that's right. I'm like, it's simple, but not easy. It's simple, but not easy. And it's the reason is that all logically makes sense. All of that logically makes sense, but none of this is based in logic. It's based in our emotions. We have to give ourselves permission. We have to give ourselves an individual and collective permission as a profession to say no and to, and to, procrastinate on purpose, if you will. That's, that's a book by Rory Vaden that talks about the permissions of saying no. And we have to give ourselves the space to set boundaries and be okay with that. Like logically, every most every athletic trainer probably knows that they should not pick up their phone at 1 a.m. when <laughs> a patient calls. Like, right. like if you're calling me at 1 a.m., you probably need to go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. A real emergency versus a perceived emergency. Right. And we still answer the phone. What happens if we don't? What if? What if we don't answer the phone? If they need help, they will find it. They are all, like, what happens if if we have an emergency at 1 a.m.? Are we calling our athletic trainer? <laughs> no. Right. Like, yeah. what happens if our mom has an emergency at 1 a.m.? Are they, they calling you or are they going to the emergency room? Right. Maybe they're calling you because you're the son. Right. But, <laughs> but, you know, if your friend or if, if you know, your neighbor has an emergency at 1 a.m., they're not going to knock on your door and say, can you take a look at this? I ate some bad chicken. I think I may get food poisoning. <laughs> well, I, I, if you already ate the chicken, there's nothing I can do. Right. But it, but but we don't we, 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 we think that that is totally unreasonable because we haven't given ourselves the permission to say no, because we feel as athletic trainers, if we say no, we aren't enough. And by saying yes, it's a way to fill in our own emotional, our own professional emotional wounds to make us feel valued. And we are already valuable because we are special mm-hmm. and we are not unique. Like that, like what happens, like just ask ourselves the question, what if, like, what if I say no to this, what's going to happen? They're not, are they going to go to another provider? That's great. Like, and the other part of this, you know, if we move away from the athletic trainer, we've been very athletic trainer centric, but we're doing a disservice to the patients that we work with if we do everything for them. Correct. Right. If we take the patients that we work with to the doctor's office, we schedule their dentist appointments. We, we go to them with the doctor. We ask the questions for them. They are not always going to be a student athlete. What happens when they graduate? Are they going to understand how to navigate the healthcare system? Right? Most of us learn to navigate the healthcare system when we were in college. Our the, if if you or in high school, mm-hmm. right? Many of us probably went to the dentist on our like we drove to the dentist on our own when we were in high school and we had to make sure we showed up on time. We we didn't have someone take us there and sign us in and we had to call our parents to say what's my insurance number, right? Like we, we had to do those things as, as young adults and oftentimes as athletic trainers, as we try to help them, we may be helping them in the short term, but we are creating learned helplessness for the patients we work with because when they are not, when they are no longer a student athlete, they are still a human right. and they are still going to have to navigate the American healthcare system and so if we say, no, I don't have, no, I'm not going to schedule this appointment for you. I'd like you to do it. You know what? It may delay them seeing the physician by a day or two. So what? They, they've learned a valuable lesson about personal responsibility. They've learned a valuable lesson about how to communicate with people in a professional way. They've learned a, a, a valuable lesson about how to advocate for themselves. And they've learned a valuable lesson about ownership and responsibility of their own health. And again, as we want, as we move towards, as we, as we want to 
dig ourselves in and and really build our foundation and not even build our foundation, but move forward from our foundation in healthcare. We have to, again, set those boundaries by saying no, asking the question, what if, and giving ourselves permission to say, that's okay. And I am still enough. We don't need to fill, we don't need to be everyone's mom, dad, brother, sister. We can be their healthcare provider and still be enough. Their healthcare provider is what they need. We add all these other things on to help fill us up. Mm -hmm. But the reality of the situation is that we are the source of our own energy, right? We, We don't, we have to create that. We cannot take that from someone else. So if we, we, if we constantly need to feel validated by the patients or the coaches or the administrators or other people, then we're always going to get trapped in this cycle that I'm not enough and continue to say yes to things that don't align with our, with our why, with our value. And then we'll get stuck in this, in, 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 in this negative loop where we say we want to be a healthcare provider, but we're unable to do the things that healthcare providers do. And what's what's worse, we'll continue to move our patients down a path where we are unintentionally creating learned helplessness for when they become members, uh, mem- when they when they leave the student athlete portion of their life. Yeah, there's uh, a great book by Jonathan Haidt, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, and it talks about kind of parenting in this new era. Um, and, and we, as athletic trainers, I know in the secondary school, we deal with parents a lot and we deal with the parents that are the helicopter lawnmower parents, the, the ones that are constantly doing things for kids. Uh, a, a friend of mine, she, um, she's a professor at a college and she didn't allow a student to take a, a midterm exam recently. And the parent emailed her and I'm like, that's crazy. But as I'm hearing you talk, we are doing the same thing. We are the helicopter athletic trainers, helicopter healthcare providers. And in that book talks about building resiliency within children. If we are not helping build resiliency within our student athletes, then we are limiting our student athletes. And it's part of that ego-driven we want to feel our own value by creating our own value. Hey, that's a great business tactic, you know, like sell what's what's needed. And if we continuously try to sell what's needed, but with zero value, we're not doing any service for athletic training. We're not doing any service for ourselves. We're not, you know, we continuously complain about, salaries and value and hours that we're working. I I am so lucky that my administration, I was fretting over missing a day one day. And this is a handful of years ago. And I'm like, I I need to be there. I need to be there. I need to be there. Like, you know, (laughs) stressing. (laughs) And my boss said, what do you think happens when they're at home? I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know. You know, I I couldn't (laughs) get my mind to connect with the said. He's like, I, I, my son gets sick and I can't get him in for two days to see a doctor. He's going to be okay. It's the same with you. Like if you're not there, you don't have to be on top of the kid when the kid gets injured to treat them. If they have to wait 24 hours to see you, then, then so be it. Mm -hmm. They're going to go to the emergency room. Yeah. For him to say that from an outside perspective meant the world to me because then it was like, Oh, my value is different than needing to be here right now, right here, whatever. No, then I'm able to be a more valued member by saying no, by not being there, by not um, always being around and and setting those boundaries. And and using that, I've been able to say no more within my setting, within my profession, within Mm -hmm. my area. And it's allowed me to do more valuable things to help benefit others. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, you, you point out the challenge that almost every athletic trainer faces. We ask the question like, well, what if I'm not there, no one's going to take care of them. Mm -hmm. And and that's propagated by what, what we, what, what we collectively and as individuals in the profession 
spout, right? Athletic trainers never rest. Athletic trainers always there. Last one, to, first one in, last one to leave. Like those things, although they are inspiring methods, uh, mes- messages, they they send the message that we must be there. And if we are not, we are somehow not enough. And it just re- it reinforces the, the, the feeling of not adding value to individuals' lives that exist in almost every single human being. Right. And as a profession, we've, we've, again, I think unintentionally reinforced that, that if we are not always ready, like always ready, it's not like always ready during work. It's mm-hmm. always ready, like 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, forever. Like no one can do that. That is an unrealistic benchmark. And no one is ever going to reach that. So if there's anyone listening saying that, I, you know, I have to take a break, then take a break. Like, like it's, it's, it, it, it is one of the things that I think we just, we really have to be mindful of in our messaging because we are about increasing access, but we cannot increase access at the cost of us as humans. Right. That is not how it's meant to work. And and we just need to, I think, collectively and as an individual, we need to be mindful and aware of our triggers and what moves us down this path of wanting to, to take the bait and say, I must be here for every single event because if not, the world will melt. Right. right? It's so it's so ego driven. And and I'm I've got one of the worst egos in the world that I, I need to be there. I, I feel that I need to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's unfortunately taken me this long in my life to realize that I've had a terrible ego in that practice. And um, reshaping that, rethinking it has caused me to be a better practitioner. I've been mm-hmm. so much more effective when I haven't put my ego into it, when I have stepped away when I've set boundaries, reprioritized things, I've become a much, much better practitioner. Mm-hmm. And, and it's almost like, you know, clothing brands, our, our, our brand becomes better. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you get the cheap cloth, you're going to have a terrible t-shirt, but if you got a really good brand, you're probably going to have a really good t-shirt that's right. going to last you a while. And, and you're willing to pay more for that. Absolutely. You're willing to pay more for that premium Under Armour t-shirt than you are, you know, a t-shirt off the rack at a convenience store. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to finish and I know we're kind of ending up uh, with, you know, some time and I think this is a great passage to end with. And it's um, from Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. And it's the chapter. Um, Treat yourself like somebody you're in charge of helping. And I think that's one of the things that we don't do. We don't care for ourselves. And, and saying no is a way to care for ourselves. And the passage goes, imagine 100 people are prescribed a drug. One third won't fill the prescription. Half of the remaining two thirds won't take the medication correctly. We deserve some respect. You deserve some respect. You are important to other people as much as you are to yourself. You have some vital role that to play in the unfolding destiny of the world. You are therefore morally obligated to take care of yourself. You should take care of, help, and be good to yourself the same way you would take care of, help, and be good to someone you love and value. So I have read that book. I've read that book a handful of times now. It's It's been a book that has really helped shape the way I treat myself and the way I go about life. But that passage there meant so much to me because I know my dogs have been on the show before they've, they've decided to start shaking and fighting midway through the show. But if they needed medication, I bought it. I made sure that they took it every day at eight in the morning. And I made sure I was home every day at eight o'clock to, to give them their, you know, whatever was needed for them. But I didn't do the same for myself. I didn't treat myself like somebody I was in charge of. And that's not healthy. That's not a good thing. And once I was able to start doing that, I became a better person, was able to help more people. 
I, I know last episode we talked about that leadership loop. You know, the more you care for, the more you do things, the more opportunities you get. But the more you care for yourself, the more opportunities you get to care for other people. And one of the ways I was able to do that was saying no to certain opportunities, certain people, certain things. And it's caused me to become more efficient and just a more well-rounded person to help others. And that's one of the things that I wanted to do is to be more reliable for the people I'm with and more people, you know, the people I'm around. And I was only able to do that through saying no. So does anybody have any final thoughts? You know, I think one thing that, you know, we've, we talked about on this episode uh, may be uncomfortable for some people, right? It is, it is, it's simple, but not easy. And as, as, as we move and we try to implement these things, it is really hard and it's going to, it's going to elicit fear responses and questioning of who we are and if we can do it. And I, and I want to finish with, with a little bit of a story. So when we were not at the top of the food chain, right? When like tigers or lions or other animals could eat us, we weren't, we didn't have guns and we weren't in houses. I thought you meant the sports because the tigers <laughs> and lions are never at the top of the food chain. <laughs> That's true, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the saber tooth tigers, you know, when, 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 when we were, when we were not at the top of the food chain and we, and we huddled around a fire, the fire represented comfort and biologically at night, it made sense to stay close to the fire because we could see the danger that was around us. And that's made, that's kind of where we're at. That's where we're at. When we say, yes, it feels comfortable. But the problem with always staying around the fire is that eventually the resources around you will get used up and eventually we will have to explore. And if we're so paralyzed by feeling safe, that we never leave the safety of the light of the fire, we'll eventually perish. Mm-hmm. And so it, in implementing these things, we have to understand that we are going to leave the light of the fire and that's biologically scary. But the great thing is about every single one of us is that our ancestors had the courage to leave. That's why we're here today. So even though it feels scary, it is within your DNA to be able to feel fear and do it anyway. So as you're saying no, as you're trying to set boundaries, feel the fear and set them anyway. Right. So I don't think um, you have have enough kids because it's like if all the firewood gets burned up, then I can just send the kids, hey, go find some more sticks, right? And I can just take (laughs) out the light of the fire. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you you other people go do it i'll stay safe <laughs> true true terrible leadership <laughs> <laughs> all right um we want to know your thoughts and so share them with us on facebook twitter instagram uh i know there was a, an issue with the live stream on facebook but that's okay uh, but you can get a hold of john or dr games on a- either way and again it may not be right away they may not may not tweet you right back because uh, some of the boundaries that they've set up or maybe even john set that boundary up uh you know by the time we've finished recording this episode um so dr games i appreciate your your encouragement and your words and just saying it is okay to say no that you are enough. And just this past week, I went to a uh, foster dad retreat thing. And the key phrase for the whole retreat was you are a good man. Mm -hmm. And it goes right along with what you're saying is you are enough. You are a good man. Jeremy, you are a good man. You are enough. They don't need more of everything else. They just need you. You are a good Mm -hmm. man. You are enough. And then, like you said, if we don't ever leave the safety of the the fire and all of our firewood is going to get burned up and then we're going to be cold and attacked by saber tooth tigers. So, <laughs> all right. So on that, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash learning to say no. Dr. Games, best way to get a hold of you is what? Uh, either through Instagram or Twitter. My Instagram handle is at Kent games and my Twitter handle is at games. Kenneth K E N N E T H. Uh, if you'd like to send me an email, it is kenneth.games at I-N-D-S-T-A-T-E, Indiana State, dot E-D-U. 
All right, John Seco. Best way is shoot me something on Twitter. It's simply my name. It's J-O-H-N-C-I-E-C-K-O. If you want, you can shoot me an email, J-C-I-E-C-K-O at bloomfield.org. My email is going to be a little bit less accessible after today. So feel free to send me something over on Twitter. Very good. I'm going to have the link to those on sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash learning to say no. So if you didn't get them, you know, you're driving, you didn't get to get them down right. So I'll have that link there so you can easily contact these guys and get some of their wisdom. And again, one of the partners with the Sports Medicine Broadcast is physicaltherapy.com. And it may be a way that you can prioritize your time instead of having to go to conferences um, or maybe you say, you know what, I have one hour every night that I can devote to learning and getting my CEUs done. So I'm not cramming on December 31st to get them <laughs> done and submitted and that kind of thing. So it may be that that's a tool that will help you prioritize or maybe something that you have to say no to. Say, no, I'm not going to add that to my plate. I'm just going to go to this conference and get my hours in. But if that works for you, you can use uh, physicaltherapy.com slash one as in the number and then free course and you get the, your course free and then um, just start from there. So that or MedBridge, you can use VSMB as your promo code. So check those out if those are going to help you prioritize and, and learn to say no and take care of yourself as a person, as an athletic trainer, as a father, as a husband, whatever it is. You know, obviously those are my situations, so. All right, John, final closing thoughts, words, or we're just done? I think we're done. I, I, I appreciate you, Kent. Thank you very much. I thought this was a really great conversation. Um, I, I think as we grow as a profession, I know we've been around for a while, but we're right in the midst of a, uh, you know, a, a change within our profession. And I think us taking the lead, leading up, using these different tactics that we're going to learn this, this month and, and last year, uh, putting them into action is really going to help our profession move forward into a new era of a healthcare-based model um, and, and allow us as professionals to be more well-rounded and, and to have a better life going forward. All right. So for Jeremy, Dr. Kenneth Games, John Seco, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast. That is a wrap. Thanks. Thank you. Good stuff. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. 